Please uh, pick up your Bibles. We're going to be reading from the second chapter of Acts, which you'll find on page 1093. We're reading the first 13 verses. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians. Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. This is the word of God. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, and can be found on page 1066. John 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, 
as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you keep that uh, passage uh, open in front of you, or if you haven't got it, it's on page 1066, 1067. And just to say that at the end of my sermon, uh, I'm going to ask you all to stand. I'm going to pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, would fill us as a church and then uh, individually. If you'd like to be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit, when it comes to communion, simply bring a red hymn book with you and uh, we'll know that we can pray just briefly for you at the altar rail this morning. Because, of course, this is not an academic subject. This is about the life-changing, transforming power of the living God. I wonder if you've ever been thirsty, really thirsty, having a raging thirst. Hunger and thirst express our very basic physical needs, but of course, you can be spiritually hungry and thirsty too. Today we celebrate Pentecost when the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to every Christian. And our first reading from Acts chapter 2 reminds us how he came and transformed a defeated small group of men to become those later accused of turning the world upside down. And that, of course, included the mighty Roman Empire. But when you compare the early church with today's church, particularly in the West, you begin to ask questions about the disparity, the difference between then and now. And in addition, there is tremendous spiritual hunger and thirst among Christians. Billy Graham, in his book on the Holy Spirit, wrote, Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They're hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to look first at the work of the Holy Spirit in the individual. The work of the Holy Spirit in the individual. And our second reading, here is this meeting with a woman at a well. Jesus teaches us that it is he alone who can satisfy the spiritual thirst that is in every human being. And the context reminds us that Jesus was no respecter of barriers between people, And he was certainly breaking down a few in this just single conversation. First, she was a Samaritan. And there had been a long-standing feud uh, between Jews and Samaritans actually for centuries. Then she was a woman. Strict rabbis were forbidden to speak to a woman in public. And finally, she was undoubtedly a social outcast because of her immoral life. And that was the reason why she'd gone to the well in the middle of the day at the hottest point when no one else would be present. 
And Jesus starts where she is with her concern about water. What a good lesson for us when opening up a spiritual conversation with someone. He gets her immediate attention because he speaks about what concerns her. But he speaks somewhat mysteriously about living water. Look at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman is mystified. She can only think in the here and now and in practical terms. Verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You haven't got a bucket. How are you to get the water? And then she asks, as we see in verse 12, how can you talk about something which Jacob couldn't produce, namely running water? For that was the ordinary meaning of the phrase living water, running water. In effect, she's saying, Jacob, great as he was, had to dig a well. Are you claiming to be able to get fresh running water from this well? Because if you are, are you claiming to be greater than Jacob? No one has the right to make that sort of claim. Now, at this point, we need to point out that the Bible has another way of using the word water, namely, when speaking of the thirst of the soul for God and how that thirst could be quenched with living water. So in the book of Revelation is the promise, to the thirsty I will give water without price from the fountain of the water of life. And listen to King David speaking of that thirst in Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever known that sort of thirst? I have. And the Old Testament tells us that it's no good trying to quench soul thirst ourselves by building our own water tanks. Tanks such as success, material goods, lovely homes, great holidays, all good in themselves. But these things ultimately will not satisfy the thirst in our souls. Only God by his spirit can do that. Here is how Jeremiah put it. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. With this in mind, let's return to John 4 and look at verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's making the astonishing claim that he could give this woman living water which would banish her soul thirst forever and replace it with eternal life. This is nothing less than a claim to be the Messiah, 
the Anointed One, long promised in the Old Testament and eagerly awaited by the Jews. For only God can give that living water. The woman had clearly heard of the Messiah. Look at verse 25. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus replies with these dramatic words. I who speak to you am he. What a moment. A moment of revelation. What a dramatic moment for her. So what do we take from this meeting? The Samaritan woman was looking for significance and fulfillment through her relationships. It would seem she hadn't found it, as she'd had five husbands. By any count, that's a lot. And she was now living with someone else. She was in spiritual need, but was looking for spiritual satisfaction in the broken water tanks of sexual relationships. And Jesus invited her to receive from him living water, which would become in her a spring of water, continuously flowing and welling up to eternal life. She would receive the Holy Spirit into her life. He would be a constant resource and blessing now and always. And Jesus makes the same invitation to you and me. We have the same opportunity to receive his loving presence, which will satisfy our deepest longings. Simon Ponsonby, in his book More, writes, The twofold promise of eternal life and satisfaction appears to be conditioned by a threefold response believe, come, drink. I do believe in Christ absolutely, he wrote, but do I come? Sometimes. Do I drink? Sometimes. And here, perhaps, says Ponsonby, is the key. I experience a partial appropriation because of a partial response. And he continues tellingly, the river of the Holy Spirit opened up for us through Christ at Calvary, but have we stopped it up or diverted it or avoided it? We need only to look to Christ and remove the rubble the accumulation of sin, resentments, bitterness, faithlessness, lack of spiritual desire, and the spirit will rush forward, turning barrenness to beauty, desert into oasis, struggle into satisfaction. I want that. Don't you? What's not to like, as they say? Now, Christians have argued about whether being filled by the Holy Spirit happens in an experience subsequent to conversion called the second blessing. But I believe the Bible teaches we're filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion when we first become Christians. But Scripture doesn't limit his work to a single occasion. Be filled with the Spirit, writes Paul in Ephesians 5. And the Greek word really means go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Making the same point, Bishop David Pitches once said, the second blessing came after the first and before the third. 
In other words, even a Christian needs to go on being filled again and again, blessing after blessing. Do you want that? Are you up for that? I'm going to pray for it. I long for it for you as I long for it for me. For the Holy Spirit's work and presence is a tremendous blessing to the individual, strengthening our walk with God and our closeness to Jesus. What's not to like? Secondly, his presence is also a blessing, indeed essential for the church. The people in the church at Corinth were very committed to the Holy Spirit and his work. However, in their exercise of spiritual gifts, they were somewhat chaotic. Would you turn to page 1153 as we look at briefly at 1 Corinthians 12, page 1153. And Paul sets out some clear guidelines, and these guidelines are key for us as we consider today, which is also All Aboard Sunday. Look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. God designed us to be different. And the reason being that because we are different, we can bring different spiritual gifts to the church family. I love that children's song, The Big Family of God. It makes me smile. Some of us are big and tall. Yes, you have to be big and tall to be ordained at St. Michael's. My colleagues are even taller than I am. Some of us are very small. Well, new babies are very small. Some of us are very loud. Some of us are very... don't make a sound. God loves everyone he's made... We're all part of the big family of God. But the Holy Spirit is behind it all. He is the one who gives to every Christian his gifts. And as Paul says in verse 7, for the common good, for the good of everybody. The gifts of the Spirit are given to make the church function effectively. And so in verse 12, Paul uses the analogy of the body, which is made up of many parts. Though its parts are many, it forms a single body. And the church is like a body. The head of the body is Jesus Christ. And the body needs all the parts to function healthily. Eyes, feet and hands, ears and noses. None more or less important than the other. None unnecessary. Now we all know what it's like if one part of our physical body is not functioning properly. Goodness me, I know more about the heart now than I ever did before. My minor heart attack. A headache affects everything. A broken leg, well, that's going to restrict your movement. So it is in the church. If one part is not working properly, we are all affected. God's Holy Spirit has given us all different gifts, different ways of serving, and if we don't use these gifts, we're depriving everyone else. I remember somebody saying to me, oh, I don't think I'm going to come to the small group, the home group this evening. And I could tell from their voice that it was just, they didn't have a lot on, it was just they chose not to come. And I said, oh, do, because we're going to be handicapped if you're not there. Your gift isn't going to be there. Please come, we need you to be there. 
They looked a bit startled. What a wonderful gifts they are. Romans 12, let me read just a few. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Oh, note that. It's God's grace given to us which produces different gifts. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Where would we be at St. Michael's without the encouragers? Bless you. Where would we be without those who lead? Small group leaders, children church leaders, teachers, members of the church council. Where would we be without those with gifts of administration? Incidentally, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12. God bless the administrators. And what about those with musical gifts? We are fortunate at St. Michael's. I always say that to myself when I go to other churches. And Ephesians 4, Paul says how gifts like those of prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given for a reason by the Holy Spirit. Here's the reason. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We become mature Christians as we serve one another. Can you see the vital link between the gifts the Holy Spirit gives and the absolute necessity of exercising those gifts and the growth of the church? You are not helping the vicar out by filling in the all aboard form. No, you're helping us. And actually, you'll be doing something for yourself. Today is All Aboard Sunday to give us the opportunity to consider prayerfully your service here at St. Michael's. And I do want to say a huge thank you to so many of you who do give of your time and your talents to serve the church family in so many ways. I'm always so struck by the younger members of our church who get up on a Sunday morning to come to Children's Church to help. Welcoming, serving coffee, leading a home group, Bible teaching for both men and women, serving as a church warden. God bless the church wardens. Or on the church council, teaching our children and young people. So on this Pentecost Sunday, we see the Holy Spirit at work in the individual, satisfying our deepest spiritual needs. But we also see the Holy Spirit at work in the church, enabling us all different as we are, And as I look around, we are very different at St. Michael's. But using the different spiritual gifts God has given us for the good of everybody. That's why you're here. Well, this is all terrific, but the fact is some are nervous about the Holy Spirit. Just mention the words Holy Spirit and they look nervously at you. What holds us back from receiving from God by his Holy Spirit For some of us, it'll be for the first time, consciously, as they become Christians. For others, being open to being filled again by the Holy Spirit. So what holds us back? Last week, Tim preached in our sermon series in the book of Revelation on the reality of the spiritual battle and Satan's opposition. 
A.W. Tozer, in a sermon, said this, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, and surrounded it with false notions and fears. And he went on, and this bit I really like, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Isn't that terrific? Listen to John Piper, again quoted by Simon Ponsonby. What we should seek, and this applies to all Christians, he said, is that God pour out his spirit upon us so completely that we are filled with joy, victorious over sin, and bold to witness. And the ways he brings us to that fullness are probably as varied as people are. It may come in a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and tongues. It may come through a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and no tongues. It may come through a crisis of suffering when you abandon yourself totally to God. It may come gradually through a steady diet of God's word and prayer and fellowship and worship and service. However it comes, our first experience of the fullness of the Spirit is only the beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled with the Spirit. So, do you want to be filled with the Spirit? I do. I want to be refilled. I think today there are three sorts of people. Those who've not yet put their personal trust in Jesus, but you want to do so today, so that you are filled with his love and his presence. Some are uncertain, but you want to be certain where you stand with Jesus. So again, you want to be filled by the Holy Spirit with his loving presence. And then there are those of us who've been Christians for some time, but want more of God's power and love in your lives by the Holy Spirit to be filled again by him. So in a moment, as I said before, we're all going to stand together, and I'm going to pray two prayers for those who want consciously for the first time or to ink it in to receive and put their trust in Jesus and receive and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then for those of us to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And we're doing it together as a church to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives so we can serve one another and grow into a mature Christian faith. Then when it comes to communion, if you want a brief personal prayer, simply bring your red hymn book and we'll pray for you at the altar rail as you receive communion. Please stand. Now if you'd like to echo these prayers silently in your hearts, and then we'll pause for a few minutes, and then the band will sing Spirit of the Living God. And when we put our trust in Jesus, it's a matter of facing up to the things that we've done and the people we are, that we may know his forgiveness bought for us on the cross, which we remember again at communion. and the invitation that he should come into our lives by his Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. 
please forgive me. I turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, we pray that you would indeed refill us by your Holy Spirit, that we may love Jesus even more, we may know your power to serve, and that we may be faithful disciples, mature disciples of Jesus in a faithless age. Come, Holy Spirit.